I love the story that uh, Caleb shared on the lead up to communion where he talked about his friend Charlie, the farmer, looking around the farm, watching the chickens be chickens, pigs be pigs, the dogs being dogs, and thinking, yes, uh, I don't know what he thought exactly, he's not my friend, but, but as I was listening to the story, I could imagine him thinking, yes, this is God's world, uh, they're doing what they're doing, and it's a reminder that when God looks at the world, um, he looks at the world with great affection, with great affection, and uh, he's proven that, uh, and that's what we celebrate on Ascension Sunday, he's proven that affection by taking something from this world, namely the human being, the risen Lord Jesus Christ as a human being, and placing Jesus, our elder brother, our savior, our king, our Lord, our friend, at his right hand, to remind us that a piece of humanity if you will, has made it across the finish line. That's Ascension Sunday, and that's what we're going to be ruminating on as we, uh, as we continue our time together in the homily. You know, you, you, look for, uh, you look for stories and you look for symbols and examples to try to get across these very mysterious, mind-boggling things that we confess, like ascension and the creed. You know, we, we confess it as a mystery, the Apostles' Creed each week. He ascended to heaven. And uh, so I love the farm animal story. But one that I came up with a long time ago is uh, I think that for many of us, we imagine God looking down at the world um, like through a camera, but we picture the camera kind of like a security camera. Right? Like, all right, I'm going to look around and see, see who's messing up because I'm sure somebody's messing up and I'm just waiting to catch them as they're messing up. And really, the better metaphor, if you will, would be the camera in the hand of a doting grandparent. Now, sure, that camera is going to catch some tomfoolery and some kids acting up and all the rest of it. But the, the point of the camera is to look with affection and love. Uh, and, and, and God has provided a way uh, for us, even when that camera catches us being less than what we should be, um, not living into our human flourishing. Uh, God has given us a way as human beings to, to reconnect um, and to receive strength from on high to live into that human flourishing that, that God loves to watch, loves to look at, pleases him so much. Well, th- those are just some prefatory um, thoughts, if you will. Now I'd like to read the lesson and, and then get into the homily. So our second lesson is from the book of Ephesians. Printed in your bulletin. I think you'll see how it's related to the ascension in just a moment. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, and for this reason I do not cease to give thanks for you, 
as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him. So that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, open our eyes that we might see Jesus ascended. Give us ears to hear the gospel this morning. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher in Christ's name. Amen. In the early church, the Feast of the Ascension was regarded as important to the rhythm of the yearly worship of the church, Uh, important in the same way that Easter was important, that Pentecost was important, that Advent has become important. And so because it was important to them, we pause Uh, you know, this hinge day between the season of Easter and the season of Pentecost to consider why it's important to celebrate Jesus' ascension into the dimension of heaven. Uh, The dimension of heaven, which I think is probably best thought of as the dimension of the world to come, that world to come that's pictured in the book of Revelation as the new Jerusalem, coming down to join this world, the end of history when God's judgment and renewal come to make all things new and God will wipe away every tear. That's where Jesus is now as a human being. Now, what I want to do in the next few minutes that we have together is I want to think with you about what difference Jesus' ascension makes in our world and how. What difference does Jesus' ascension make in our world and how? The implications are at once mysterious, I'll grant you that, uh, but also profound. As the leaders of the early church in the first few generations after Jesus' ascension began to sort out what it meant they focused on what we've been talking about already. The fact that when Jesus ascended to the heavenly realm, God's world to come, that will one day be joined to this world and the great renewal of all things, that that is the dimension that Jesus entered. And when he entered it, he did not shed his skin. He brought human flesh and blood with him. Now, I know it boggles the mind. Jesus' full-on humanity is now safe and sound at the right hand of God the Father. And as we've already been alluding to this, um, I'll say it again, his presence there has implications for all human beings, for all of humanity. 
Now here's some examples of how the early church leaders began to think about those implications. You can see the thinking develop with texts like these. The one that we already read from Ephesians this morning. God has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Clearly Paul wants us to understand that Jesus' ascension means that our flesh and blood, our flesh and blood, even while we are in this broken and fallen world, that we as human beings are mysteriously enabled to truly and spiritually share in Jesus' ascended human life. In other words, our future because of Jesus' ascension is the same as Jesus' future. And it is ours not merely as a promise, but as an already present spiritual reality. That's Paul in Ephesians. And then, a little bit later in the second century, here's the voice of St. Irenaeus about the ascension of Jesus. Now this, in quote, Now this is his word, our Lord Jesus Christ, who in the last times was made a man among men, that he might join the end to the beginning, that is, join man to God. Sorry, that's an old language, so it's uh, not gender neutral. Uh, Then we have Gregory of Nazianzus, a little bit later in the 4th century, saying it this way. And I love this one. That which Christ has not assumed, he has not healed. That which Christ has not assumed, he's not healed. But that which is united to his Godhead is also saved. Of course, what he's talking about is the assumption of mysteriously human flesh, right? For these and other teachers in the early church, it was vitally important to communicate that mind-boggling doctrine of the ascension. Vitally important, because in their way of thinking about it, the gospel would have been incomplete without it. They understood that the more we grow in our knowledge of the good news that we are ascended with Christ even now, the more we are enlivened by that truth and the more we are drawn into a deeper experience of our union with the risen and ascended Jesus and that the deeper we live into our union with the ascended Jesus, well, that's going to help us be more whole as human beings. No doubt about it. All right. I've been talking in theology language, if you haven't noticed. Ever since I quit talking about salami, I think we've been in the realm of theology language. Um, now, it's necessary, I think, to do that sometimes because, um, you know, confessing great doctrines of faith like the resurrection and, and the ascension uh, requires for us to think a little bit about how 
those who've gone before us have thought about these things. But now I want to shift our focus just a little bit and think about how the knowledge, how the knowledge of our union with Jesus' ascended body is appropriated in our practices, in our praxis. I want to talk about how it is that we actually grow into this knowledge. And I think maybe it helps to think of this sort of knowledge as transformational knowledge. Like in the knowing of it, there is transformational power. How do we deepen our union with the flesh and blood risen Lord Jesus? How does our union with Jesus enliven us in the here and now of our mundane lives? That's the question I want to linger over here for a little bit. But as good as that question is, I think it's kind of funny that I don't think that question would have been top of mind for someone in the early church. I don't think they would have been thinking about that question. At least not in the way that we do. I'm not even sure it would have occurred to them to ask that question. Because for them, the transformative power was something that was happening to them in worship. For them, that transformative power growing into that knowledge was something that was happening to them as they participated in the sacrament. For them, that transformative that transformative knowledge and power drawing them deeper into the knowledge that Jesus had ascended on their behalf was something that was made sense to them based on the practices that they were doing in the common life of the community. Let's just for a minute talk about the sacrament. Sacrament of communion. From very early on, in the practices of the church, the mystery of the Lord's table or the sacrament of communion was understood to be all about uniting us to not just Jesus raised from the dead, but flesh and blood Jesus raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father. That's why each week when we talk about communion, we we say in one way or another, we say, come, feast on the risen Christ in your hearts by faith. What we're saying is, get your flesh and blood in touch with Jesus' flesh and blood. Jesus will be food and drink for you. Um, Calvin, the great theologian of the 16th century, would eventually put it this way, but, when it, but, but this language is only reappropriating the best traditions that stretch back to the very earliest years of the church. And Calvin envisioned what was going on at the Lord's table this way. He would say, The Spirit of the risen Christ descends upon the communion table and lifts us up to Jesus in the heavenly realm so that Jesus himself might be food and drink, sustenance for us, as we just said. And the powerful thing about that is, is that Jesus, our sustenance, that empowers us and enlivens us in the here and now, 
does so even though and especially because we come in our brokenness, in our frailty. We are, are held and, and united to Jesus even as we continue to struggle mightily with all manner of temptations. Struggling with our sin, our lack of faith, the list goes on. The way I picture what happens in communion is that I come with my sins to confess, I come with my confusion, I come with my brokenness, and I just put it all out there before God, and I say to him, here it is. I am a mess, but I know that I am your mess, and that mysteriously I am becoming slowly and surely a more whole and complete version of myself when I come in faith to this weekly practice, my mess of a human being is brought into the presence of God, loved by him, united to my faithful Savior, my Lord, my elder brother, Jesus. A communion... It is, as Rowan Williams writes, of the ascension in general. I quote, Jesus hears all the words we speak, words of pain and protest and rage and violence. He hears them and he takes them and in the presence of God the Father, he says, this is the humanity that I have brought home. It is not a pretty sight. It is not edifying. It is not impressive. It is not heroic. It is just real. Real and needy and confused. And here it is, this complicated humanity brought home to heaven, dropped into the burning heart of God for healing and for transformation. This is what's happening each week when we're coming. Jesus is descending. He's bringing us up. And he's bringing us up as people who have not got it all figured out. People who are broken. And there we are. We're dropped into this refining fire of God's love. And we come out hopeful. And we come out moving a little bit closer to the wholeness that belongs to us because of the ascension of Jesus. But it's not only in communion. Not only in communion that we're taken up into the very life of Christ. We've been spending time in the book of Acts lately, and the theology of the book of Acts, where we've been spending um, most of our Sundays, presents the common life of the church with its practices of hospitality, welcome, self-giving love, even enemy love, sacrificial giving. The book of Acts pictures these practices of common life and and Luke in Acts pictures them in a way where he presents them 
as, as being another way that we're drawn into the very life of Christ. The very life of Christ. You know, when Caleb was preaching on uh, Paul's conversion from Saul to Paul in Acts 9, uh, you know, and Jesus comes and presents Jesus' self, he ascended Jesus somehow, manifests himself, I don't know, it's a mystery, right? Comes to Paul, and, and here's what he says. He doesn't say to Paul, and I think Caleb touched on this, but I want to get it back, uh, or bring it back here as part of our, our pondering about ascension. Jesus says to Paul, not, Paul, why are you persecuting Christians? He does not say, Paul, why are you persecuting the church? He says, Paul, or Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? And this is but one sort of tantalizing uh, way that Luke has to get us to realize that um, these patterns of life that, that characterize uh, the way that human beings are beginning to treat each other in this new community, the church, those patterns of life go way beyond good behavior. <laughs> Those patterns of life go way beyond, oh, I think I'm going to act like Jesus today. Those patterns of life are there because the same Jesus that descends through the power of the Spirit on the table and then brings us up to share in his life in the world to come that same Jesus does that in the life of the new community. Think about that. Think about that when you go to community group and you listen to a sister, a sibling in Christ, sister, brother, sibling in Christ, and, and you hear them talk about their, their doubts and you put a hand on their shoulder and you say, that's what it's like to be broken and human. You're held. You're held by God. Jesus has ascended on your behalf. When you do that, you're participating in the very life of Christ. This is you, 100% you, but this is 100% you participating in the ascended life of Jesus that is descended in the church and brings us all to life. When you take a meal to someone, when you donate to the deacon's fund, when you receive from the deacon's fund, I could go on and on and on with the practices that characterize this church, but they are practices that are holy and they are sacred and they are hopeful and they point to our future in the world to come, even when, and only when, we do them imperfectly. Because, guess what? 
That's the only humanity that we have joined to Jesus right now, is our imperfect humanity. But when we step in, in faith, step into Jesus' life in our midst, the patterns of living and giving and receiving that only Jesus can create in our midst. When we do that, that is 100% you. But it is 100% you participating in the risen life of Christ. Now, I say that um, realizing that the preacher and the pastor, the staff member, is supposed to say that the life of the church is important, right? I'm supposed to say that. But it really, really is. It really is. You can't, you can't grow and be stretched into participating in the risen Lord Jesus Christ simply by reading something or listening to a podcast or whatever. It has to be in the life of of the church, the sacraments of the church, and in the practices of the church. And we know that we do all of this not in vain because Christ is risen as a human being and promised us that we will be risen and seated with him as human beings. Finishing up with a quote from Cyril of Alexandria, another leader in the early church. Having blessed them and gone a little in advance, Jesus was carried up into heaven that he might share the Father's throne even with the flesh that was united with him. And this new pathway, the word made for us, When he appeared in human form, and hereafter, in due time, he will come again in the glory of his Father with the angels and will take us up to be with him. The ascension of Jesus, mind-boggling mystery, transformative knowledge. May God bless us as we continue to reflect upon it. In Christ's name.